That must be for me, I guess. Matthew chapter 1, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Thank you so much, David. We appreciate that. And the worship team, we appreciate you guys. And uh, this is a wonderful time of year, isn't it? Uh, you get rid of the cold weather, this would be perfect, wouldn't it? I mean, not, <laughs> not a cold weather kind of guy. But if you will, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. For many, loneliness is a common everyday experience. A study of loneliness by psychologists reported that of those surveyed, 15% felt lonely most or all the time. 78% felt lonely at least some of the time. Only 6% said they never felt lonely. A recent census revealed that just over 20% of all households in the U.S. consist of a person living alone. That's more than one in five. However, many would say that they have been lonely in a crowded mall, at an office party, in a church with hundreds of people around them, and even in a marriage. It's amazing the shape that loneliness takes. I mean, it can affect everyone, no matter who they're around, who they're with, whether they're by themselves or in a crowd. Loneliness is one of those things that seems to be at the forefront of many people's minds. Because that's the condition in which they find themselves. So look at the introduction. For many, the Christmas season is the loneliest time of year. This is why so many can relate to the songs, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. How many of you know that one? Or, I'll be home for Christmas, and you know the rest of it, if only in my dreams. Loneliness is an emotional state in which a person experiences a powerful feeling of emptiness and isolation. It is more than the feeling of wanting the company of others. It is a feeling of being cut off, disconnected, and alienated from others. Y'all, many people live in this condition. And I know from talking to some of you, some of you are in this room. And you feel so disconnected, you feel like life is going on all around you, yet you don't feel like you're associated with it. It's, it's a different part. It is the feeling, this whole idea is the feeling that no one really cares about me. No one really knows me. Many who have lost loved ones experience this loneliness this time of year because of all the memories and traditions that surround this time of year. It's just a reminder of that loss. And I understand because many over the last several years in our church family has, have lost, lost loved ones. And it's very difficult. Psalm 102 describes the elements of loneliness, the feeling of being alone. It, it comes with isolation, feelings of being overwhelmed, oppressed, and even misplaced. Listen to the psalmist. Most people don't believe that David wrote this, but listen to Psalms 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I, I will call. Answer me speedily. Can you hear the desperation? Lord, just give me something. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I lie awake 
and am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. Many people in this room, I believe, can associate with this. They, they, the emotion that is cried out in this psalm is something that they feel very close to. And so what I want to do today is I want us to look at a Christmas classic. I want us to look at a Christmas story. And if you haven't guessed, it's going to surround the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. So today I want us to look at the loneliness of Christmas through the experience of Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Look on your outline. First of all, we see the loneliness of betrayal. Joseph must have experienced loneliness in his hometown of Nazareth when he felt betrayed by Mary, someone he was engaged to. We, we're going to talk a little bit later. He was actually betrothed to her or engaged to, someone he trusted. The first thing that we see in the loneliness of betrayal is, look on your outline, the isolation. The isolation. Mary also had to be feeling very lonely because we read in Luke chapter 1, we read that after the angel left Mary, that she went to her cousin's house, Elizabeth, which was around 70 miles away in a city of Judea. She stayed there for three months before returning to her hometown. Now, here's what I want you to understand. She left there, I guarantee, because the angel said Elizabeth may know more about the story. And of course, we know the story. So she goes but guess where Joseph remained? He remained in Nazareth. He, 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 surely he heard the news. You see, a, a time of loneliness, let me just say this, can be very dangerous for many. It seems to be a time when the enemy sees an opportunity to attempt to destroy a person. I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I've, I've talked to people, I've talked to many people over the years, and there's different things that seem to trigger what we would call loneliness. For some people, it's the loss of a loved one. And, and, and that's something that, that uh, I've had loved ones that were close to me, but nothing like some, what some of you have dealt with over the years. Nothing like that. So I can't really say I know exactly how you feel when you lose a partner that's been around for a long time. I, I don't know what that's like. But I can tell you this, that, that loneliness can come in, in varying way, various ways. And, and for me, discouragement brings about this whole idea of loneliness and isolation. For other people, it's other things. And I'm here to tell you that there's one thing that I've noticed about men and myself in general. is the fact that, that when discouragement comes to my life, I seem to be open prey for the enemy. Because it does. It feels like isolation. And I think many of you have been there. Uh, how many of you have watched Animal Planet and you've seen where the lions attack the gazelles? How many of you have ever seen that? Yeah, think about what happens in that scene. The enemy works the same way, and Peter tells us that. That lion will sit there and he'll roar. And he'll, I mean, they say you can hear it from miles away, the lion's roar. And what's really interesting is a lion, the male lion, doesn't even go for the hunt. It's the females that go out. But the lion's part is to, to roar. And all of a sudden, you see what happens to the gazelles. You see a whole pack of them, and all of a sudden, one varies off. The panic, the desperation, all of a sudden, there's isolation. And guess what? The enemy's ready to pound. Did you know he does the same thing in our lives? He does the very same thing. First Peter chapter 5, look here on the screen. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Everything you're dealing with, all those things that are there, you put it on him and let him care for it. It says, for he cares for you. 
And here's what's interesting about that. Even when we don't think he cares, he cares. You see, I'm convinced there's people in this room who thinks no one cares. No one cares. But here's what I can say based on the authority of God's word right here. He cares for you. He says, be sober, be vigilant. You know what that means? It means when those times of trouble come, when those things come at you from everywhere, you better be ready because the enemy will use it as an opportunity. He says, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you know where it starts? It starts with that feeling of isolation. It starts with that feeling of panic and desperation. And so many people are there and have been there. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to resist him. Steadfast steadfast in the faith. That means you stand in the faith of knowing what you do know. You see those times of isolation. Those times when you just feel all alone. It's hard to be firm in your faith and stand in your faith. How many of you have noticed that? Because you wonder... Is he even there? Is he even there? He says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, many would agree that what Peter is talking about here is probably a whole idea of persecution that was going on in the first century. But let me just tell you this. There's nothing specific telling us that. But here's what's interesting about it. The emotions that we feel, we can identify with this. Many of you can. The isolation the enemy brings to our lives. The enemy's purpose is to destroy us. When we read the Christmas story, we can imagine Mary sending word to Joseph. Can, can you imagine? I don't know if she sent word to him. The Bible's not really clear or, or, or whether she just went and told him. But we don't have the conversation where Mary tells Joseph about the pregnancy. We, we can only imagine And so imagine the conversation going something like this. Honey, I've got some exciting news. Now, how many of you can already see this may be a problem? An angel came to me and told me that I'm going to have a baby. (laughs) Please know that I have not been unfaithful to you. I I have conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. Honey, please believe me. Who do you feel more sorry for, Mary or Joseph? Both of them, it would be tough, wouldn't it? I mean, to receive that news. Think about Joseph. Imagine how, how alone Joseph felt when he first learned Mary was pregnant. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 18. And here's what's interesting about God's word. It just begins to tell you about the story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, now, now, let me tell you what betrothed is. It's, it's a little more than an engagement. Uh, in our society, engagement means there's the intention of marriage. It means a ring is given normally. It means there's a sign that, that, that you're intending to marry this person. And you set the wedding date, and one day that wedding comes, and they're married. To be betrothed, however, it's a little more uh, formal. It's a little more uh, of a commitment. It literally means a dowry is set in which the the groom is paying the price for the bride. You ever heard of the whole saying, the 10-cow girl? 
I mean, she's a good one. Ten cows will get you a good girl, okay? But anyway, I know that's, <laughs> that's the way it was back then. Don't get mad at me, okay? But anyway, so a dowry is set. Now, what happens is, that's a betrothed. The, the agreement's been made. Okay, there's going to be a marriage out there in the future. Let me just tell you that the, the terms have been set as to what it will cost and all that. Now, some people say that the dowry was set in case the groom decided to back out. The young lady at least had something. Okay, so that's what some people were saying. But not only that, it meant that there's a commitment that is made. Okay, and then the wedding day would come, and that's where you would have the consummation. Okay, so, so, so you don't touch the girl. You don't, there's no touching. There's nothing going on between the time of being betrothed and the time of the wedding ceremony because that's when the consummation takes place. Okay, now, that's where they were. They were in the betrothal period of time. So after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, here's the, here's the news. She was found with child. But here's the good news of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, and I want you to notice this. This is key. Being a just man. Some of your translations say being a righteous man. Okay, He was not perfect, but here's what the Bible says about him. He was a good man. He was a good man. He was a man of faith. And not wanting to make her a public example was minded, it came across his mind, to put her away secretly. Now, the phrase put her away is what the Bible would call, if you put that phrase together, it literally means divorce her. So really, you could divorce someone in the engagement, what we would call the engagement period, the betrothed period, okay? So he was minded to not make a big deal about this, but to quietly, to not make her public spectacle, to not carry it the court, so to speak. He was minded just to divorce her and simply possibly walk away. He cared for her. He didn't want to hurt. But, but he was struggling with this, y'all. How many of you would struggle? He was struggling. And so verse 20. But while he thought about these things, what does that mean? It means this was something that was heavily on his mind. It was there. We see Joseph is left alone with his thoughts. Now imagine his loneliness, his isolation, the thoughts that his dreams have been broken. Some of you have experienced isolation and loneliness of betrayal and broken dreams. The pain of betrayal a relationship can bring. The pain of loss in a relationship. But then we see hope. We see hope. Look at, look at verse 20 of Matthew 1. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Isn't that interesting? Joseph, son of David. Son of David means the lineage in which the Messiah would come. Okay, So, so Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to, your, to, to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, what had Mary been saying? Well, we don't have the exact conversation, but she, she, he's heard this before from her probably. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God chose to come make a dwelling 
with us is literally what it means. Now, keep in mind that this message from the angel could have possibly been months after the angel first appeared to Mary. Could have been. Think about the relief Joseph and Mary must have felt. Mary had another who believed her story and all the ridicule she must have experienced. Now think about that. Reputations were probably harmed during all this. Next, look on your outline. We see the obedience of Joseph. The obedience of Joseph. Now, this really shows you that Joseph was a a just man, a righteous man, a man of faith, because he believed. And we see that. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her, it was not consummated, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after that dream, Joseph knew, listen, that he was walking in the will of God, and that he was not alone after all. Think about that. The hope came from the hope he responded with obedience Maybe you feel forsaken and betrayed by those you love. Remember, listen, you're not alone. God will see it through. There'll be something on the other end. God is there all the time, even when you feel betrayed and alone. The word word says that over and over again in Scripture. And we'll see more of that a little bit later. Next, we see the loneliness of betrayal was not the only form of loneliness Joseph experienced. He also experienced the loneliness of being overwhelmed. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. How many of you have ever experienced being overwhelmed? Now, the way I experienced being overwhelmed is I feel like there's so many things on my plate, and I alone am the only one that can handle this. And then I feel overwhelmed. How many of you, with all the presents needing to be bought or purchased and and the cookies that need to be made and the tree that needs to be put up and how many of you felt that before you ever felt it before yeah most of you in the room this time of year seems to bring it out of us but I want you to see some things that happened the first Christmas first of all overwhelmed by the pressures of frustration frustration of all the times think about the story now of all the times to have to travel 70 miles to another city, a possible five-day journey, and Mary is close to giving birth. She had to be in her ninth month. Think about that. Keep in mind that Joseph was called by God's word. Listen, as you think about this story, listen, Joseph was called by God's word, a righteous man, a just man, a good man. Think of this. And Mary was called by God's word, blessed And a woman highly favored among women. Now let me just say this. There's a lot of people out there who say this. I've heard it. I've heard it on TV. I've heard it on the radio. I've heard it in many places. That when you're in the center of God's will, everything is just great. Everything just kind of works itself out. Because if you're not in God's will, that's when trouble comes. Can I tell you something based on the story we're going to read and the one you know so well? is that you can be in the center of God's will and still struggle and still have things that are beyond your control that come into your life and still feel the frustration and still feel the loneliness. You see, so many times people are programmed to think, oh my goodness, this is in my life. What did I do? How many of you have ever done that? Ever had that thought? 
Now, sometimes our sin can get us into certain consequences, but sometimes trouble can come without the consequences of sin. It's just normal life. Sometimes it's because the plan of God is being played out in your life. I get so sick and tired of hearing people say, oh, get in the center of God's will. All of it will come together. He'll give you wealth. He'll bring all these things to your life. That is a lie from hell. Nothing in Scripture even comes close to looking like that. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days, did a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census took place, first took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now think about the difficulties they experienced. We all know that. We've imagined it. We've heard a video of what it could have been like, a song of what it could have been like. But look at the next thing there on your outline. Overwhelmed by the pressures of family. You ever been overwhelmed by the pressures of family? (laughs) That can come in many ways. You know that, right? So look at Luke 2. Look at verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now think about that. You would think that God would have thought ahead, wouldn't you? Uh, God, if we're going to plan this perfect place, this uh, I mean, we're going to spare no expense. The Son of God's getting ready to be born. Mary, just walk in there, tell them what you need. There'll be a spa waiting on you. And when you come in from the trip, and at the end of that, by the way, there'll be another. I mean, they're just going to take care of you. They're going to pamper you. Does the story even sound anything like that? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, think about it. We, we guess, based on the description, that this is probably a stable What's even worse is probably a cold cave. If you go to that part of the country or to the part where they're talking about, most of the animals were kept in caves. That's probably where the Son of God was born. Joseph, now think about what's going on. Joseph was now responsible for not only a wife, think about it, but a son. Not just any son. Who is this? It's the Son of God. He, he knew he was not the real father, but he knew what? He was responsible. Can you imagine the weight of that? Can you imagine that? I've talked to some of you men before and, and, and what it was like to become, first become a father. And, 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 and it's like, you know, that, that, that poor wife is sitting there and she's labored and finally the child is here. And then the whole idea of the, the man now holds the child. I don't know about you, but it hit me hard. And I've talked to several other, uh, others of you. you. It hit you. It's like she's done. The baby's here. Now you're holding the baby. Now it's your, your responsibility. How many of you feel that, felt that before? Magnify that by a million. Maybe you're close to where Joseph must have felt Oh, my goodness, son of God, I couldn't provide anything more than this stable. What's God going to (laughs) think? It was all provided there for God. God put it together. Think about that. How about this? Overwhelmed by the pressures of finances. That's another thing that we find in this story that blows much of prosperity preaching out of the water. And that's the fact that when you're in the center of God's will, 
All kinds of wealth will come your way. And if you'll give this, he'll do this. And you do this, and he'll do this. Would you say that Mary and Joseph right, were right perfectly in the center of God's will during this time? They were. They were following it like a road map. And I'm just here to tell you, they had financial difficulties. How do we know that? Look at Luke 2. Look at verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed... Now, what this is talking about is after a woman had a baby, there was a certain amount of days in which she was considered unclean. She couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't worship. None of that was even possible. So those days had to be completed. Okay, These days are completed now. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That would have been right there in the temple. They would have, a priest would have been involved. All these things would have been involved. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer, they were also there, verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Now, they wanted this to go exactly to plan. They wanted to fulfill the law of the Lord. So they go to the temple. They had to, they had to present a sacrifice. And here's what I want you to notice. A sacrifice, what did they present? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Did you know that was a provision for the poor? That was a provision for the poor. A lamb was what should have been there. This poor young family, right in the center of God's will, were struggling financially. They didn't have what normal people brought to the temple. They had to, they had to take the provision that was provided for the poor. Now, now here's what's interesting. They had to take a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Do you know what the two were for? This is phenomenal. This is amazing. It, it was mainly for Mary herself, okay, because uh, the whole idea of purification started this section. It was, one was there uh, for her to be ceremonially clean, okay? So she, the days were completed. Now she's going to be ceremonially clean, so she's bringing the sacrifice. But you know what the second one was there for? It was a sin offering. A sin offering. Did you hear me? Mary sinned. How many of you are shocked by that? She sinned in her lifetime. She had to bring a sacrifice for her own sin. Do, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying there? Do you know that's a misnomer by a big portion of the world's population who believe that Mary lived a sinless life? Why is she bringing a sin offering then? Because that's what the two would have been for. And we see it right there. So Mary and Joseph's humble offering was a public declaration of their humble means. And by the way, there was no maternity leave, no unemployment compensation. None of that was back then. <laughs> Next, overwhelmed by the pressures of the future. Anybody ever been there? Overwhelmed by the possibilities of the future? Luke 2, look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of the baby Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now, how many of you uh, like to hear all kinds of news no matter what? You, you, you like to hear all kinds of news no matter what, especially as it pertains to you? I don't know about you, but I'm the type that I just prefer the good news, if that's okay. But, but what comes with everything? The good and the bad, right? I want you to see what's being said to Mary here. Again, here's what you need to understand. They were following the plan of God like a roadmap. 
They were perfectly in the will of God. Listen to this. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You know what that literally means? He is destined to be the determiner of people's destinies. You know what it also means? He's going to divide people. There's going to be all kinds of of things that's going to surround his life and which is going to cause major divisions. How many of you look at our country and see the major divisions that we're in? We do. I don't know of a time that I've been alive where we've been more divided. Did you know when Jesus showed up, it became a very divided time when he started his earthly ministry? I mean, I want you to think about that. And so Mary's hearing this. Now, now understand, you're a young mother. You see all the hope in that child. It's the son of God. Can you imagine all the things that you've dreamed up this child would be? And there's this man sitting in front of you. He's He's going to divide people. He's going to divide families. Did he divide families? Is he dividing families today? Oh, yeah. It goes on. And for a sign which will be spoken against. You know what that literally means? This child with all those hopes and dreams, this is the son of God. You're blessed to have this child. Here's what this child's going to experience. He will be rejected. He will be insulted. He will be abused. How many of you mothers looking down at your infant child would like to hear that about them? This is what the future holds. It gets worse. It gets worse. Verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. You know what that says? This child is a blessed child. You you should be highly favored among women. But let me tell you this about this child. He will bring a lot of suffering to your heart. Wow. Wow. I thought the Christmas story was all about peace on earth, goodwill to men, and all kinds of good stuff, right? Can you imagine hearing that? A young mother? It goes on that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Listen to this. The core of what that last statement means means this, because we saw it play out. He will challenge the religious establishment. Those who come to this part of the world, those who surround the temple and call that God and and his dwelling, and this is where we worship him, he's going to reveal all kinds of things about that situation. He's going to reveal the true intentions of the most religious people around here. A lot of things are going to happen with this child. Think about all that. You see, many times the prospects of the future cause much pressure and feelings of being overwhelmed. Being overwhelmed escalates the feeling of loneliness. Don't you think that Mary felt so alone at that time to hear all that news? I mean, think about what she just heard. Next, lastly, Joseph dealt with the loneliness of opposition. Look at, turn back to Matthew chapter 2, if you will. This will be the last place we'll go. Matthew chapter 2. Now, as you turn there, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about that Satan himself would like nothing more than to destroy this baby 
who was Jesus, the Savior of the world. Now, last week I told you how he tried to do it before he even got here. Do you remember us talking about that last week? How all through the Old Testament you see where the lineage of David was attempted to be wiped out and God's people wiped out and all those type things. Satan's been trying for thousands of years to destroy this child before he shows up. Then he shows up. Do you think he gives up at that point? No, it intensifies. So the first thing we see there on your outline is the flight. The flight. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Now, when it says they departed, you know what their intentions were? To finally go home. They'd been in Bethlehem for a long time. I mean, think about what Nazareth holds. That's home. That's where uh, Joseph's business is. That's where the nursery has been set up. I'm just playing that in there. We don't know that. But think about what home represents. I mean, think about that, y'all. How many of you, when you get out of your routine, you like getting back in your routine? You, you, you know, it's good to get out of the routine, but it's good to get back in the routine. Well, guess what? They thought that was coming up. And what does the angel say? Think about this, y'all. They left Nazareth. They went to Bethlehem, 70-mile journey. You know what the angel's getting ready to tell them? Flee to Egypt, almost another 200 miles away from home. 200 miles. So, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Now, here's what's interesting about this whole traveling. Uh, They probably, some scholars estimate that they probably went to a place called Alexandria. Okay? Alexandria was 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 an amazing place in some ways. Alexander the Great, when he came through as the Greek leader and established the, the Greek Empire... What he would do, like many other conquering peoples, is he would redistribute people. So he'd go and conquer people, then he'd move them in other places. Well, when he came to, the, to Palestine, he took Jews and planted them in Alexandria. He literally removed them and moved them 200 miles away. Okay? Now, the reason conquering armies would do that is so that they couldn't get a revolt started in that region. You know what I'm saying? So they, just, they put them there. So by the time you come to AD, 40 AD, guess what? It's believed that Alexandria has as many as one million Jews in it. That was a highly concentrated area of Jews. And that's probably where many scholars believe that they fled to. Now... He says this, stay there until I bring word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Think about that. Another 200 miles away from home. What a terrifying, lonely experience that had to be. Scurrying to pack and racing out of town under the cover of darkness, looking over your shoulder to see if any soldiers are chasing after you. Just the three of you heading out to the bleak wilderness for unfamiliar country. While running, Joseph must have thought, where are you, God? How can I be in your will, living out the purpose you called me to, and yet I feel so alone. I feel so overwhelmed. I, I, can't even, I, I never would have imagined my life like this. Now, just years earlier, what was Joseph? A simple carpenter. He knew nothing about war. He knew nothing about running. He probably never left Nazareth to go hardly anywhere, and yet he's on the run. 
The flight leads to the the fulfillment. Look at the fulfillment on your outline. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 15. And and it says, and was there, they were there in Egypt until the death of Herod. Now, after the massacre of the babies being killed, we're going to read that in just a moment. uh, Herod didn't live much longer. Some people estimate it may have been no more than six months. Okay, so they were probably there between six and nine months there in Egypt. Okay, and it says, stay there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. So Jesus was not born in Egypt, but he had to go there, and then he had to come back out to come back to the land of promise. Now think about that. All this is fulfillment of Scripture. Here's the next thing, the fugitives. The fugitives. Keep in mind that God provided the funds for the trip. Now, just before this, we didn't read this. Guess who shows up? The wise men. And by the way, they came bearing gifts. And the best we can tell from Scripture, they were expensive gifts. Guess what what he did? He provided for the journey. He provided for the journey. And the possible six to nine months, he'd be there in Alexandria or there somewhere there in Egypt. So Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years of age and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Now here's what's interesting. Bethlehem was was very small, very small, no, no bigger than Falston, okay? And, and its areas, that would have been C- Kayser, I started to say Caesar, Kayser, and those other areas, because it said not only Bethlehem, but the areas around it, the vicinity around it, okay? What's interesting about it, scholars believe that there were no more people there that possibly 20 cho- babies or less probably died in this massacre. So you're not thinking of hundreds, but probably around 20 based on the population they believed back then. Now think about this, y'all. Overall, Joseph did well, but there's not much tribute to him in Scripture. I want you to think about this. Not one direct quote from Joseph is found in Scripture. Not one quote. Look, you can look at it for yourself and see. He apparently passes away when Jesus is a young man because we never read about him again. There's nothing said about his death, not even a small obituary. Joseph just fades out of the picture. Here is a guy who helped raise the Son of God. Think of this. Two of his other sons, yes, Mary had other children, contrary to popular belief. She did. Two of his other sons, James and Jude, were leaders in the Christian church and even contributed to the writings of the New Testament. Yet Joseph is mostly ignored in Scripture. At times, perhaps Joseph felt lonely and unappreciated. The entire experience had to seem overwhelming to a man who was just a simple carpenter living a pretty normal life in that day until God had other plans. Sometimes... When we are thrust into a new responsibility, it can be a very lonely place. A very lonely place. So here's the conclusion. In Scripture, there were many who felt the loneliness and fear of life. Look on your conclusion there. The Lord told Joshua, Moses has just died. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Did you know that God told him that four times in chapter 1 of Joshua? 
Four times he told him, I'm going to be there with you. Don't fear. I'll be right there. You are never alone when you trust the Lord. You're never alone. All through this Christmas story, there are affirmations and encouragement. The affirmation of the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb when Mary walked up. The affirmation of Simeon and Anna at the temple. The visits of the shepherds. The visits of the wise men. God brings encouragement in our most lonely of times. But here's what I found with most people in human nature. A lot of times our loneliness blinds us to everything God is trying to do. And that's what happens many times. That's what pity does. That's what those things do. Because all we can see is right there in front of us. And we can't see around it many times. But you know something? If we'll just trust God and say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why he brought that person in my life. Or God, I don't understand why you took this person. Or God, I don't know what your story is. But here's what you need to understand. When we allow those things to be all we see, we are misguided. And not only misguided, we miss many times the affirmations that God wants to bring into our lives. Because guess what? I hate to say this. Sometimes we make those things that hurt us gods. Did you know that's possible to do? Did you know loneliness can be a god? Because that's what you would serve. You serve. Everything you decide decide is based on your loneliness or your being overwhelmed. Everything you decide is based on this. So Everything centers around this one thing. And y'all, we got to realize that there's more to it, even though it hurts. There's more to it. Through the loneliness Joseph experienced, he remained faithful to the purpose God called him. He remained faithful. Here's the application. How has loneliness visited your life? Maybe a better question is, how do you respond to your loneliness? Do you allow the the enemy to isolate you and separate you out? Are you in the process of him destroying you right now? Where are you? How do you respond? For our benefit, listen to this. This is a beautiful take from this. For our benefit, Jesus experienced the worst kind of loneliness ever known while on the cross. Did you know that? Fast forward through all his ministry. Go to the very end. You know what you find? You find Jesus hanging on the cross. And you know what you find him saying? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why, you, why am I feel so lonely on this place, in this place? Did you know he did that on our behalf? Sometimes our loneliness, sometimes us being overwhelmed. Guess what? Sometimes God can use that in the most powerful way. And y'all, he wants to use it in your life. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we've heard this morning through your word. Lord, I have no doubt there's probably people in this room who are just going through a very difficult time right now. Lord, help them to understand that I'm not trying to be insensitive to what they're feeling or what they're going through. For many of them, I, don't, I can't even pretend that I even know what that feels like. But Father, I know based on the authority of your word that your word addresses the, the most desperate things as it relates to our needs. And Father, I know there's probably people right now that the enemy, the roar of the enemy has caused them to, to feel isolated and they've turned and they've run and they, they're, they're there and their loneliness, they're feeling overwhelmed. They're feeling like no one cares. They feel disconnected. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll send someone into their life. Lord, to just speak truth into them. It, it may be difficult to hear, but Father, I just pray you'll do that. Father, I pray for... I know uh, I've seen this so many times, those who have lost loved ones recently, and the loneliness that's there, it is overwhelming. 
Father, I pray you be with them. Father, I know that many times I talk to college students and those in their 20s that feel so alone. I pray for that young girl that's looking for that man that's coming into her life, Father. Lord, Lord, help her not to get to the point of desperation where she makes mistakes. And Lord, that she just see what you're doing and what you're up to. I pray for the young man, Lord. feels the same way. Father, whatever our loneliness, wherever it is derived from or wherever it comes from, Lord, help us to understand it in the context of what you're possibly doing. Lord, Mary and Joseph really didn't understand the full context of what was going on. They just simply obeyed. And Father, I just pray that for us. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you that your word says we're never alone. Never alone. I pray that will be encouraging to those today. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know what God has on for you this, through the sermon. Maybe, maybe you feel alone. Maybe part of your loneliness is you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Did you know that the creator.